So in today's discourse, I'm going to speak to uh, the Nawa Sutta, and this will be included in, of course, in your notes for, for the class, the Nawa Sutta, or Nawa is ship, so it's the ship Sutta. Uh, the Sutta, uh, in the Sutta, the Buddha offers uh, three metaphors, <clears throat> three well-known metaphors from the teaching uh, that are, uh, I think, extremely useful for us. Uh, there are three metaphors, you know, and the Buddha's, you know, I mean, the Buddha was a master of the metaphor, for one thing. Uh, you know, and, you know, one of the things about metaphors is they're a good way to remember uh, important principles from the practice, guiding principles. Uh, and because they're, uh, you know, they're illustrative, uh, you know, they, they sort of stick in the mind. Uh, so, you know, these are three metaphors that, that, you know, can be really useful as you're moving along in your practice to recall and to remember. <clears throat> so, you know, they serve the purpose of explaining certain principles, but, but also uh, in their, this is, this is sort of my English major part of the program, you know, in their uh, 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 descriptive nature, uh, in their creative nature, they, they really uh, allow us to remember uh, and to recall these things that sometimes are hard for us to recall. So uh, the first uh, metaphor that the Buddha speaks to is the metaphor of the hen and her eggs. Uh, you know, uh, as the Buddha explains in the sutta, uh, you know, as Dharma students, we may have a wish for the path to unfold. Uh, uh, we have a wish for uh, the benefits of the path. Uh, we have a wish for uh, the ending of our suffering. Generally, we come to the path because there is suffering, suffering in the mind. Uh, and uh, one of the ways that the Buddha often describes our suffering, and is the way that he describes it in this sutta, is as the effluence you know, the outflow from the mind, the mind that's always in a state of outflow, caught in its narratives, in its thought worlds, in its actions, uh, you know, the, the, the way the mind drives action that's unskillful, everything flowing out, out, out. So, uh, so you know, we have a wish, uh, we have a wish for that, for the ending of the effluence. Uh, it's just like the hen uh, and her eggs, the hen has a wish for the eggs to hatch. Uh, you know, as Dharma students, we have a wish for our practice to hatch and for the fruits of our practice to, uh, to show themselves to us. Uh, but as the Buddha explains, uh, you know, just wishing for her eggs to hatch uh, is not going to uh, bring about uh, the hen's eggs hatching. The hen has to sit on her eggs. You know, the hen has to sit on her eggs. And she has to sit on her eggs over a period of time. She has to be persistent in sitting on her eggs. Uh, they're not going to hatch just because she simply wishes for them to hatch. 
She has to sit on them. She has to be persistent. So uh, it's the same with our Dharma practice. Uh, our practice won't develop, doesn't develop. Uh, we don't come to know the fruits of the practice. We don't come to know the ending of the affluence just because we wish for that to happen. Now, you have to have some skillful desire, right? Uh, but that has to be uh, uh, followed through on, through action, you know? And sometimes we just like, I, 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 want, I want my suffering to end, I want my suffering to end, and we wish so dearly for it to end and for us to be free from the effluence. Uh, but sometimes, you know, <clears throat> you know, there's a disproportionate, you know, a disproportionate level between uh, the amount of wishing that we have for our suffering to end and the amount of work we're actually willing or able to put into that in the service of that happening. So, uh, so uh, you know, it's great that we, that we wish to have an end to the suffering, but it's not just going to happen because we wish for it to happen. We have to uh, put in the work. Uh, we have to make the effort. We have to make the effort. I mean, Dharma practice is a practice of great effort, of great effort. The lion's share of the work, the lion's share of the effort, goes into developing concentration and into developing the qualities of concentration, as I spoke to in the guided meditation of jhana, of focus, of ease, of internal pleasure, and ultimately of equanimity. Uh, uh, insight is our, is our uh, you know, we're striving for insight, which will lead to the ending of the effluence, which will lead to the ending of suffering, uh, but we have to understand cause and effect. Insight happens when there's concentration, in particular when there's that concentration factor of equanimity that's developed, which is sort of the, you know, the the crowning factor of concentration. Uh, you know, we have to learn to develop. We have to respect cause and effect. You know, the insight isn't going to happen uh, unless we put in the work into the concentration, unless we do work. Just like the hen has to understand cause and effect. You know, if she doesn't understand cause and effect, she won't understand that, you know, these eggs aren't going to hatch, you know, on their own. You know, I have to, I have to develop the causes. The causes for the hen are to sit on the eggs. The causes for us as Dharma students is to, uh, is to get on the cushion and to meditate, you know, and to develop concentration. And, you know, in many ways, in many ways, I mean, there's, there's two parts to that, really, of course. You know, we have to put in the effort into the practice. And, you know, it's also what we do when we're meditating, right? You know, we have to uh, follow the instructions. We have to sit on the eggs in a certain way. The hen has to sit on the eggs in a certain way, so they hatch. We have to kind of sit. We have to practice in a certain way. We have to practice concentration in a certain way so that we can get to insight. And the Buddha understood what that method for developing concentration that was going to lead to insight was. He called that jhana. Uh, and then there's certain things that we have to uh, put that to good use in the service of. So, you know, but, but, but so much of our practice is, is sitting on the eggs. Is, you know, it's, it's, that it's that persistent effort day after day, day after day, day after day, over time. Uh, you know, and, and you, know, you know, this again speaks to the importance of of our daily practice, our daily practice, uh, you know, 
I mean, I mean, I, I, I understand that more now than ever, you know? And I've been in this practice for over 30 years and teaching for over 20 years. And, you know, I mean, all based on my own experience in terms of my own practice, but also in teaching for many years, the daily sitting is, is the most important thing. You know, it's sitting on your eggs. It's that practice day after day after day after day. Uh, you know, even if I look at my own practice and I say, well, you know, you've done pretty well in this practice, you know. Uh, you know, you've, you've, you've achieved some of the benefits, you still have a long way to go and you could still be a lot better person, but you're a much better person and your life is much more at peace and at ease uh, than, it, than it was 30 years ago. That's just because of dumb persistence, you know? I'm just like, I, I'm doggedly persistent, you know? That's, that's, that's the one attribute because I, you know, I mean, I've, I've, it's well chronicled how difficult meditation was for me and, you know, uh, uh, you know, all the challenges I found in sitting, but I just showed up day after day. I mean, it's mostly just showing up. That's the one thing I think I was good at, and, and I am good at, is just showing up day after day, you know? You know, it's just like that dogged persistence, that dogged persistence. Uh, you know, and I, you know, I mean, for me, I kind of had that most of my life, you know? Uh, it was just like, I'm just trying to give some examples of, I'm thinking like, you know, when I was in grade school, it was like really important, perfect attendance. You know, it's like if I was sick, no, I'm going to school today. I got to get that perfect attendance certificate. There's no way I'm not getting that perfect attendance certificate. Trudging through the snow, 10 miles. No, just kidding. You know, trudging through the snow, a quarter, half a mile to Uncle's school, you know, to make sure I got there so I would get that perfect attendance certificate. But that's kind of the way you have to be in meditation, it's just that you keep making that effort over time. So we might wish for insight and for the effluence to end and for our dukkha to end and for the heart to open, but we have to do the work of concentration to get there. The second metaphor is a metaphor that I often use in teaching, is the metaphor of the handle of the axe. Sometimes we talk about the axe blade, but technically, or at least in the Sutta, what the Buddha is using is the handle of the axe. And of course, the, the metaphor, the, uh, in, the met, in describing the metaphor, he talks about how when you get a, if, if somebody got a brand new axe and chopped wood with the axe for an hour, really, went at it for an hour and, and, and you looked at the handle of the axe, you wouldn't see anything. It would look just the way it looked probably before you started chopping the wood. If you chop wood every day for a week and you look at the handle of the axe, ah, it looks the same, right? Now, of course, it's not the same, right? If you chop wood every day for a week, you know, the handle of the axe is going to start to abrade and erode, right? But it's going to be very indiscernible, right? If you chop wood every day for a year, and after a year you look at the handle of the axe, it's, wow, it's really worn down. You know, maybe I better replace the, the handle. It's a good axe, I could sharpen the axe, but I gotta get a new handle because it's really worn down, perhaps. Not having chopped a lot of wood, maybe I'm wrong about that, but, uh, so, so what, what the metaphor speaks to, of course, is that <clears throat> we put in this effort and you know, we may be being very diligent, 
but we may not be seeing the fruits of our of our practice. We may not be seeing uh, the way things have changed. Uh, that results take time, and they're often at first indiscernible. Things are happening that we can't see. We're developing the path, but it's hard to see that. So this is a very important, uh, you know, very important metaphor to 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 to, to really take to heart. You know, all right, I'm putting in the effort. I'm meditating every day, but you know, I, it doesn't seem like I'm developing concentration and insight. Forget it. You know, that might be you know like you know speaking a foreign language. I, I'm not seeing any insight. You know, well, the truth is things are happening, but we're just not seeing them. Just like the handle of the axe is wearing down, but we just can't see it. So uh, the results take time to actually get to the point where there are discernible results takes time. We put in the work uh, and we understand you know, that eventually the results will show themselves, but that will take time. Things are happening that we can't see. We're developing the path, but it's hard to see that. So uh, you know, this, this, is, this is very important to remember. You know, and you know, it speaks to what? It speaks to having faith in the path, right? It speaks to having faith in the path. I don't see that things are shifting, but, but you know, I have faith in the path. People have been following this path for years. I've followed it. I've seen how things have changed over time. Right now, it doesn't seem like much is happening, but I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because I, I have faith that eventually things are going to happen. So we keep developing the causes. We keep developing concentration, uh, and uh, insight will come. Uh, you know, sometimes we we're sitting on the cushion a lot, and we're you know this, sometimes you see this on retreat, and people say oh, the concentration isn't coming. The concentration isn't coming. It is. You just don't see it. You just don't see it. Sometimes I can see it really clearly in students, like on a retreat, and they can't see it in themselves. Uh, so, you know, you have faith that it will develop over time. You keep developing the concentration, and uh, we may think, well, the insight's not happening. The insight's not happening. We keep doing the things that we're asked to do in terms of uh, looking at our experience in the service of developing insight, and we don't see anything happening. Uh, one very simple example of this is working with our thinking, uh, which is such an important part of the practice. We probably don't talk about it enough in this group. Uh, uh, you know, maybe I'll give a talk on it in the upcoming weeks. But you know, we keep working with our thinking in the meditation, outside of the meditation. Uh, you know, and just observing. You know, once you have concentration, some equanimity, and can maintain that, then you can observe your learn to observe your thinking with space not just in the meditation, but more importantly, outside of the meditation. This was one of the Buddha's central practices, and begin to just observe the thoughts of aversion and desire with space and question them. The question I always, you know, we usually suggest is, is it useful? If you don't like that question, you choose another question. Is it in my best interests? Is this serving me? Is this leading to happiness or suffering? Is this the most compassionate thing that I can be doing to be engaging in this thinking of aversion towards that person on the street or you know, aversion towards that person or desire for that or whatever it is. Uh, 
So, you know, we, we, when you have some concentration, you're able to kind of get a little space and observe your thinking and start to question it. Oh, is that kind of thinking useful? And you, you know, and you keep asking, you ask the questions of like, nothing's happening. I keep thinking this, these thoughts, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. I'm chopping, I'm chopping, I'm chopping. The handle looks the same. And then one day, all of a sudden, you know, you see a person on the street and you start to go into that aversive thought and it's like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, and it's in the heart. You know, that's how things develop in the heart. You know, they develop over time. You keep bringing insight to your experience. You keep bringing awareness to your experience and gradually the heart will release you from it. You know, but that doesn't happen on your time. Your job is to develop the causes, to keep asking the questions with space, right? It's the exact same thing with, you know, the, the, the skill that we've been talking about a lot in this group over the past couple of years uh, uh, of oh, ABC, right? You know, with the different emotions that arise, right? So anxiety arises, fear arises, worry arises, uh, and just bring awareness to it, right? Just bring away. This is really hard, you know. I mean, you know, in, in working with this myself over time and working with students, you know, and I was talking to somebody the other day, a very advanced student, and working with this, and, you know, it was just very illustrative because uh, the tendency is like, okay, there's my anxiety, there's worry, there's dissatisfaction, there's fear about aging, sickness, whatever it is, you know, just to be able to bring awareness to that say, okay, there's anxiety, there's worry, and just to bring awareness to that for just a couple of seconds and then go back to the breath, you know, that requires a certain degree of faith, right? A certain degree of faith. And, you know, what most people are doing, you know, and I was talking to this one student, you know, and they were saying, you know, I'm having, you know, these emotions and I got to do something about them, you know? You know, very diligent, I got to do something about them. You know, they're coming up and I got to do something about them, you know? And I got to try to, you know, use some strategy or technique and try to fix them in a certain way. You know, what the Buddhist teachings would suggest is that, you know, your capacity to be free of the way that you're clinging comes from the heart. You know, it's not like you're going to be able to uh, alleviate your suffering. You know, you develop the causes of concentration. You bring awareness to the emotion and, and you know, and the heart will understand the way that you're clinging and the pain in that and the potential for not clinging and what it's like when you're not clinging, you know, in a way that the mind can't possibly understand it. But that understanding in the heart takes time, takes time. It doesn't happen the first time you look at, you know, we, we, we're busy people, we're impatient people. I've got anxiety, it's got to be over tomorrow or, or at least by Wednesday. You know, I can't, I can't go to Thursday with this, you know. So it's sort of like you, you, you know, but you, so, you know, you have faith that I'm just going to bring awareness to these emotions, these things, these ways that I'm clinging, essentially, these are ways that you're clinging. I'm going to bring awareness, the emotion's not the problem, the clinging is the problem, right? I'm going to bring awareness to the way that I'm clinging to anxiety or worry or fear or dissatisfaction. I'm just going to bring awareness to it. And what does that mean? That means you're creating a little bit of space so you can observe it and the heart can understand it, you know? And if you do that day after day, after day, after day, after day, after day, that understanding in the heart will, will come to fruition.
right? It will come to fruition. Gradually, they'll be released from that clinging. They'll be released from that clinging. Uh, you know, when the heart is ready to let go, the heart will let go. But that understanding that you develop in the heart comes from uh, having trust in the heart's wisdom. You know, having trust in the heart's wisdom. And, uh, you know, we understand, we trust in the heart, we understand that liberating wisdom in the heart, eventually there will be insight and letting go. You know, but that's going to happen in time. So, so how does this play into the metaphor, right? Very specifically, you know, very specifically, you know, I mean, you have to be careful about being too manipulative, but, you know, when I'm bringing awareness to something, I'm remembering the metaphor of the, the axe handle, you know? Just, just do what the Buddha tells me to do. Just bring awareness to my experience if it's the thinking and it's the, and it, and the emotion, and in time, insight will develop in the heart. Understanding will develop in the heart. You know, it's not going to necessarily happen right now in this moment when I'm bringing awareness to it. You may notice a shift because you've got some space, but that deep, liberating insight will take time. So you remember the axe. I'm just going to keep chopping, and eventually, you know, eventually, the heart will set me free. So you remember that. Because the tendency, again, when you bring awareness to something, is to want to go in there and fix it. It's very hard for us because we, we you know, we want to, we, we're diligent, you know, we want to get in there, you know. But that's not how things happen in the Buddhist time. That's not how things happen in the Buddhist time. That may have worked, you know, in graduate school, you know. Uh, that's not going to work on the Buddhist time. The Buddha's too smart for that, you know. It's like you're not gonna, you know, you have to respect the process and trust the process. So you remember what the process is. You know, you remember what your job is. Your job is to chop the wood, to sit on the eggs and chop the wood, and the results will happen. They may not happen on your time. They may not show themselves right away. So it's very important to remember that. Because the more you fight that, the more you cut out, cut yourself off from the heart's wisdom. And that's what happens, okay? The more you trust in the heart's wisdom, the more the heart's wisdom can, can, can do what it can do. Uh, but the more you fight that, the more you're at odds with the way things unfold, you know, in the Dharma, uh, the further away from having the kind of freedom uh, that's possible for you, you'll be. And then there's the, the, fourth, the third metaphor, which is the metaphor of the ship. So we've come to the ship, and the Buddha describes that the, in, in, in the metaphor of the ship, the ship that's, you know, think of the ship, a ship in the Buddha's times with big sails and masts and ropes that hold up the masts, right, and keep the sails in place, known as the stays of the, of the, of the masts. And as he says, the ship is at sea for months and months, and those ropes, you know, they start to weather over time, but they still hold up the masts. Uh, over time, they start to wither and weather. Uh, 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 and then, you know, during the rainy season, the, 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 the ship sits on the shore, and, uh, and, you know, the ropes gradually wither and start to rot, 
And, you know, it's a slow process of a rope. Think of a rope uh, uh, withering and rotting, you know? It's sort of like, you know, we want to just take a, you know, take a big pair of scissors and cut the rope, right? But that's not how clinging ends, you know? Gradually, the rope withers and disintegrates and finally breaks apart. Uh, so gradually the ship stays uh, disintegrated. And that's how it works with uh, that which binds us. That's how it works with our grasping, our holding on to aversion and desire, to our stories, uh, what we sometimes in the teaching calls the fetters, the ways that we hold on. You know, gradually, gradually over time, uh, our feathers wither and rot. And gradually over time, uh, they disintegrate. So the Buddha says in the, uh, in the sutta, just as when an ocean-going ship rigged with masts and stays after six months on the water is left on shore for the winter, it stays weathered by the heat and wind, moistened by the clouds of the rainy season, easily wither and rot away. In the same way, when a monk dwells devoting himself to development, his feathers easily wither and rot away. So over time, as we practice, as we practice in accordance with the Dharma and the way the Buddha teaches, as we learn to develop concentration and bring our awareness to our experience, that which binds us, our clinging, our grasping, our fetters gradually wither and rot, and we're free.